From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the wood paneling, the shag carpeting, and the lava lamp, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hi to everyone checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Hi to those who listen and watch on the Strange Planet YouTube channel. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Jim Elvidge, my guest. Digital consciousness theory. Whether we are living in a computer simulation. The Matrix and his new book, Digital Consciousness. What if we are living in... The Matrix. Now, in the movie, of course, it's a deception, right? And it, to me, that movie parallels sort of the whole Gnostic tradition that we are living on this prison planet. Occasionally, these avatars break through, come into our reality to wake us up. The idea is that we are being manipulated on our energy, our emotions, and so forth, provide energy to the people that are running this simulation. Uh, in the Gnostic tradition, I believe they're called archons. I mean, maybe that's what's happening. What do you think of that philosophy? I think one thing about this, Richard, is we need to talk a little bit about semantics. So when we talk about the word prison planet, believe it or not, I'm not going to disparage the idea. One person's prison is another person's utopia, perhaps. I've read some accounts of people who have had near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences where they've encountered entities that really want to have the human experience but never really got the chance to. In other words, the consciousness, the individuated consciousness that's out here, there may be some that aren't incarnating into a human experience. They're just doing something else in the you know, purpose of raising the overall consciousness of all that there is. So, in a sense, for those of us who are constantly reincarnating, maybe it feels like a prison to some. And maybe while we're here, we think, well, I don't want to do that. I want to reach nirvana and I want to, you know, be one with God or something like that. Why do I have to keep on coming back here living this reality? But apparently what happens is in between lives, you realize, oh, I need to learn something else. I need to learn patience or I need to learn some other lesson. So I would really like to reincarnate. Now, once you're back in the system, you may think differently because of what you've chosen, but it's all a learning experience. I don't know if that makes sense. So what are the archons? You mentioned Jesus or some spirit guides. There does seem to be some anecdotal data, some significant anecdotal data, that people at times have kind of a a kick in the butt, like a religious experience or a spiritual experience where they realize they're doing something wrong or they have to change things. And maybe that is another consciousness kind of injecting some, uh, you know, a little bit of force to push them in a certain direction. So... I don't dismiss the idea of these things, spirit guides or archons or whatever you want to call them. The question is only, you know, what is their intent? And so I think some people have this idea that, oh, we're in in a prison, there's evil malintent behind it, like in the Matrix movie. But again, there's not evidence to support that. The evidence seems to be counter to that. When people have a spiritual experience, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's even when you meditate, and I've reached a level of meditation before where, and I've, I've since lost it, I, I'm not as good at meditating as I used to be, but in the past, as soon as I would start meditating, I would feel like this amazing connection to things and feel 
you know, really good. So by and large, I'm just going to throw a number out there, 99% of those who have experienced the truer reality have experienced it in a positive way, not in a in a negative way. Oh, but now, there are some exceptions, but I think the exceptions have a lot to do with your expectations and maybe part of your learning process. But I guess that's the point of, for example, uh, Jesus or uh, Buddha coming here and you know trying to wake us up, is that we get that glimpse, that transcendental glimpse that is not rooted in this reality. It's through meditation or raising our consciousness, however you want to talk about it, that's the key to escaping this prison planet. And that overwhelming sense of peace is only to be found by accessing these higher realms of consciousness, but not here on Earth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. The idea that they're coming here to try to wake us up, again, I don't feel that there's any evidence for that. And when I say evidence, I'm talking about sort of anecdotal information from people who have had real experiences in a deeper level of reality, not people who are running, you know, a radio show that just, you know, think everything is evil behind it. Now, does evil exist? We'd have to examine the nature of that word. Free will exists. Do people do things to harm other people? Absolutely, because they have free will. Maybe they learn from that. Maybe in the life review at the end of their life, they feel the pain of having to do that. That seems to be the case. And so they do learn either through their experiences in this life or through their experience in reviewing this life, they learn to evolve their consciousness a little bit. The fact that there's evil in the world doesn't prove that there's evil intent behind the reality. It just says that that we have free will and that we're put in a situation where we feel like we have to compete for resources. We have to compete for jobs, compete for food, compete for money. And all those things that drive us in that reality do drive a lot of evil doing. It drives a lot of wars. Imagine if there was infinite places to live. Would we need wars? No. The idea of war has to do a lot with regions and living space or you not believing what I believe and things like that. But if we realize that we are really all connected and that the true reality is a deeper reality, we'd realize there's no need for wars. Just getting back to the the idea of reincarnation. So the reincarnation philosophy, does that mesh best with the digital consciousness theory? Or why not, for example, you live once, you die, you're judged, and you'll have eternal life on another plane of existence. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any indication that that happens. There are a lot of examples. Ian Stevenson was one who did a lot of research. He researched uh, thousands of cases of people feeling that they uh, had a past life. Then psychologists like Brian Weiss and others have encountered patients who have experienced previous lives. Well, you could argue, the skeptical person might argue that they're just fantasizing something or coming up with it, you know, like they might in a dream. But when people have certain artifacts that they remember, like, well, I was in this town in uh, in Ireland, even though I've never been there, and I remember this this thing here and, and so forth, um, even then the skeptics will say, well, they saw that in a movie or they, you know, they heard a story. But when you talk to children who have never uh, experienced these kind of things, they've never had the uh, the the media exposure or the number of stories told to them, and there are a lot of cases of children who 
in, in fact, children tend to remember their previous lives more than adults do, we get it sort of kind of forced out of this from a logical standpoint, you know, no, that doesn't exist. So we tend to not believe it. But children are kind of open to those kinds of things. And so you can't explain that with children. If they remember something like uh, this boy, James Lenninger, I think his name was, yes. remember being a fighter pilot in World War II. He remembered the names of his uh, his colleagues. He remembered the name of the aircraft carrier. Remembered Iwo Jima, where it was, and everything he remembered, you know, was actually uh, something that really happened. So, you know, the fact th- th- there is evidence. This is actual real evidence for the uh, the idea of reincarnation. We talked about reincarnation. We talked about uh, you know, well, what happens specifically? You mentioned the life between lives. What happens when we die? Physical death. Is it just a waveform that collapses to live again? What happens to that consciousness? What does sure. digital uh, so, consciousness theory tell us about that? Yeah, so here's here's how uh, I, I see this. And, and again, all of these ideas, uh, they, they come from thousands of years of similar thinking. They come from other researchers. They come from exper- scientific experiments. They come from anecdotal data, all of that evidence. Um, leads to this conclusion, and I think here's what happens. Um, I mentioned that our reality learning lab is sort of a subsystem. Our real consciousness is a is like a bubble or a mini cloud out there in all that there is, and it's connected to our vehicle, our avatar, if you will, in this uh, virtual reality that we're living in. When we die, that connection is broken. Now, where does the data go? We've there, there's some information that we've recalled from this light, this life. Um, I think that's stored in what you might call an Akashic record. I think there's, you know, probably evidence seems to support that everything that ever happens um, is stored somewhere. However, when we reincarnate, we don't normally get connected to that information. We, that's wiped clean. But we do retain the values and the learnings that we got from the previous time. So, um, you know, you think about the connection is broken, we lose all of the mundane data about the previous life, and, and that's important because when we do reincarnate, we have to think that this is a physical reality because that's why we have, uh, that's what's going to drive us to believe in the learnings that we're getting. Um, so that data is gone, but why do we perform differently in this life? You know, why do we have the, uh, the nature that we have? That's because our soul, our consciousness, the values that we, the things that we've learned, does retain as we go from from life to life. So I think that's kind of what happens. Um, you know, another example that that this explains really well is the nature versus nurture argument. There are characteristics of people who are uh, identical twins, so they have identical DNA, identical uh, uh, upbringing and environment at the same time. What would explain one person having a, uh, you know, a sexual orientation that's different from the other person or, you know, having a proclivity to commit crimes and the other person doesn't, you know, and we, we see this all the time. There are some things that seem to be genetic. And when you think about it, they're, it's logical that they're genetic. But what explains these that are different? The, the answer is the fact that it's a different soul. All right, Jim, i got to you take know, a time out. We'll uh, pick this up on the other side. Jim Elvidge, Digital Consciousness, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. In a democracy, 
We elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? Jim Elvich stays with us. The book is Digital Consciousness, and we're discussing whether we may be living in a digital simulation, a computer simulation, like The Matrix. Now, you were talking about identical twins and nature versus nurture and how differences may be explained by the fact that they are different souls. Just pick up where we left off there, Jim. So I'm sure you've known people who who say, gee, my kids are just so completely different from each other. You know, from from day one, you know, as, as, as babies, they were different. Uh, it happens all the time. And so when they do these experiments, they, they'll, they'll test something like some attribute of somebody, you know, a, a value perhaps, you know, honesty or something. Um, and they'll, they'll, they'll do tests for identical twins and fraternal twins um, or between strangers. So the fraternal, the difference in results between fraternal twins and identical twins will parse out, you know, some of the genetic, uh, uh, some of the nature side of the, the connection. So they'll, be able to determine, you know, scientists have done this, they're able to determine, well, this particular kind of trait uh, seems to be related to genetics, whereas this particular kind of trait seems to be more related to environment. But there are some traits that seem to be related to neither. And, uh, you know, so my argument there is that it's because we are different souls. We have a different soul history. We have a different history of all the incarnations that we've had and therefore the learnings that we've had uh, over the you know, the instances of those reincarnations. So as a result, we are going to behave differently. We will have different attributes and different values and things like that. So it makes sense to me uh, in, in that way, but it's really hard to explain it when you have identical twins who, uh, who, who, who differ drastically. You know, and, and one common area to, that has been researched is, you know, the proclivity for um, sexual orientation. You know, some of the, some, there's some thinking that it's possible that your most recent incarnation was the opposite sex. So that's why you have, may, may have more of a tendency, uh, toward that orientation than others. Um, that also makes sense, but it doesn't make sense without the, the idea of uh, reincarnation. Right, right. Um, other paranormal, uh, paranormal activity that can be explained by this DCT, digital consciousness theory. So let's talk about, for example, ghosts. Uh, when you see a full-on apparition of someone who has been dead for a hundred years and they're coming down the spiral staircase and they come down that spiral staircase every Friday night at midnight wearing a top hat and, uh, you know, tails and so forth. Um, how does DCT explain paranormal activity like that? Yeah, sure. Um, so... Ghosts isn't something that I've done a whole lot of research on, but to me it just kind of falls in the category of things that that uh, aren't in the normal uh, set of artifacts in our reality. So, for example, we see cars, we see, uh, you know, clouds and sun and, you know, all the things that everybody uh, sees and it follows the rules of physics and follows, you know, all the normal rules of our reality. But then every once in a while, we see something different, whether it's uh, cryptozoology or UFOs or ghosts or something like that. And, but if you, if you think about it, let's take as an analogy the, um, the, uh, a virtual reality uh, computer game that you might be playing. Let's say that 
Um, you it has, those games also have physics engines, and so everything is going to work according to that physics engine. When somebody when somebody dies, when another player dies in that virtual reality, they're gone for good. You don't see them again. But there's nothing preventing the programmer of that reality to create a ghost. It's just that it's not, you know, part of our normal experience. That's why we use the word paranormal. It's something outside of normal experience. But it doesn't mean that it can't exist. Just because it doesn't follow the rules of physics, like in the Matrix, again, you know, remember they were they were breaking the, the rules all the time. Uh, just because the rules can be broken in some cases doesn't doesn't mean that it can't exist. It just means that our normal reality is following these rules and the paranormal stuff is not. But it's all playing out in the same system. Okay, so it's an artifact, but does that... Does that preclude the the existence of actual ghosts? No, no, it doesn't. And so you might ask the question, what's the ghost? Well, you know, maybe the ghost is just a a little, in a, honestly, I hate to use the computer analogies too much because it, again, feels like we're fitting this theory into something that can run on a laptop. Um, and so I don't even use the word computer simulation. It's, it's a much more complex reality, I'm sure, that we live in. But, 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 but keeping with that analogy, you know, imagine that, you know, somebody dies and there's a little instantiation of a program that says, we're going to take the likeness of that person, make them transparent, somewhat transparent to anybody who sees them, and put them in this house that they used to live in to appear every night at midnight. There's, there's nothing difficult about programming that. It's, it's, a, it's a very you know, simple thing to do if you think about it. So the fact that they exist kind of implies that we do have you know, a programmatic nature to our reality. Who did it and why? That I can't say. You know, I, I, I do kind of speculate about some things, but you know, I'm trying to be pretty careful in the book and in, in my blogs and the things that I talk about to speculate too much. You know, I want things to be grounded more in evidence um, and sort of statistics and uh, so forth than, than just speculation. But the speculation stuff is really fun, too. And, you know, when, when I do approach something like that in the book or during an interview like this, I like to make it clear that we're just speculating at that point. What about the existence of, of, of hyperdimensions? Theoretical physicists talk about, I think, up to 12 hyperdimensions, or maybe they're on to even more now. Uh, do hyperdimensions, are they problematic for a digital, a digital a simulation? Because the, the existence of these hyperdimensions might, in fact, explain things like ghosts or uh, encounters mm-hmm. with UFOs and aliens. Yeah, and, and it's all, uh, again, it's all semantics, I think. So uh, it, it, the, there are a lot of ways to look at dimensions. What does it mean to be uh, a different dimension? It just means that there's a different attribute that's, that's uh, being varied uh, instead of the, the normal ones. So I could very easily um, program into a, a system simultaneous threads of uh, reality going on at the same time. And some people might connect to one, and some people might might connect to the other, or maybe the you know the thread in the you know x plus one dimension 
is where the mysterious stuff, where the dark matter is, and where the the ghosts are, and 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 so forth, and it bleeds through into the other. Again, that that's all all very possible. So when we talk about dimensions, it's it's a real difficult thing to talk about because everybody uses that word dimension or multi-dimension differently. Um, a mathematical person might use it in a mathematical way. You know, there are things like four-dimensional space, five-dimensional space, and so forth, and you just, you know, write equations to explain what's going on in these different dimensions in space. You know, somebody who's uh, a physicist may talk about, especially if they're a quantum physicist, they might talk about something called Hilbert space, which is where the multi-dimensional or multi-world theory, the many-worlds theory, comes into place. That's one of the solutions to some of the quantum mechanics anomalies that every time something happens at a quantum level, actually both things happen and the whole new universe is forked off. But according to that theory, you can't go from one universe to the other. So if you believe in that, then you can't preclude, or you know, that kind of precludes some of the uh, spillover things that we talk about. String theory um, talks about uh, physical dimensions, um, which is much like the mathematical dimensions. In the programmed reality, I could say every every simulation is like a, a dimension. Um, in some massively multiplayer online role-playing games, they have different servers that um, different characters uh, um, interact on. So when you first connect up and create your account, you're on one server, so you're always seeing the same people. But there's, and that's because that server can only handle 2,000 people, for example. Um, it's not infinitely scalable, so they have different servers with different groups of people. You can think of each server as a different, as um, a, you know, that the, the the server dimension, if you will. Uh, so running um, instances of processes and things like that could also be considered another dimension. Uh, all of this makes total sense in the in the uh, digital consciousness world um and and people that have that have had uh, encounters experiencers with with aliens people who believe they've been abducted uh by aliens how could that be explained by digital consciousness theory yeah that's just their subconscious or, or their uh subjective experience uh, richard so it's you, you know all we know for sure is what experiences we've had these people are having an experience that seems to be different than what the average person has. It doesn't say they're not really having that experience. Now, there's certainly some people who are going to lie about things for one reason or another, but I think when you start to add up all of the evidence, you know, all the corroborating evidence of, uh, of, uh, for example, UFO sightings, you know, you have to acknowledge that there's something else going on in there. And it's those, those things, those artifacts, those, uh, you know, the UFOs or the cryptids or whatever, those are falling into the category of, quote, non-normal experiences that aren't following the standard, um, you know, rules engine that, that we have in our normal day-to-day life. Now, maybe as time goes on, uh, one of those, you know, we, we say, okay, well, enough people have seen it. We're going to accept that that thing exists, and we're going to try to do some scientific investigation and figure out why. And now it becomes part of the you know, what we generally consider of as normal. One example of that is back in the 1800s, people used to think that meteors didn't exist, and there were all these stories of 
oh, there was a rock that fell out of the sky, and the scientists would say, no, it's impossible. You know, that's that that couldn't happen. These people are crazy. They're you know, it's pseudoscience. They're they're not thinking right, et cetera, et cetera. So that was at that time paranormal. But once a real explanation was created for it, now it became part of the normal set of artifacts in our reality. But there are rules, right? There are laws of physics, for example, or are there? Is it simply a case that anything goes as long as the programmers decide that that's what they want to program? Could be, yeah. I I think there are laws and rules that are pretty solid, and I say pretty because it's it's like this consensus spectrum. When you dream, it's a consensus of one. When you're in a reality, it's a consensus of many. And somewhere in the middle, if you're having a mutual lucid dream or uh, an OBE where you're experiencing somebody else and you're both experiencing the same thing, these things have happened as sort of a middle consensus. So way at the uh, you know high consensus side of the spectrum is the stuff that we experience day to day, and those are the rules that you're talking about. They seem to exist, but they are soft, as the quantum mechanics experiments show. Things don't exist until they need to come into existence, and that has been proven. As much as I don't like to use the word proven, we're talking about, you know, 80 orders of magnitude of certainty um, that objective reality doesn't exist, uh, according to scientists. So that's that's a fundamental paradigm shift for most people to realize that the thing that they feel like is most solid out there, that they trust, doesn't really exist as they think it does. It comes into existence when it needs to. All right, we'll take another time out and uh, come back. I'd like to know, when did this simulation begin? I mean, can we actually determine when we sort of went online? Back with more. My name is Richard Serrett. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Jim Elvidge. The book is Digital Consciousness, and uh, we'll take a phone call. William is in Toronto. William, welcome aboard. I uh, find what your guest says very interesting, and I can uh, understand, uh, comprehend what he's, what he's talking and relate to it. Uh, uh, however, if uh, people were to talk about this among themselves or to anyone else, they'd be considered mentally unstable the way things are in society today, and no one talks about it. Excellent point. Uh, <laughs> Jim, what do you say to that? Yeah, I think it's true, and it's it's very unfortunate. I think there's, there's this uh, fear in society of of something that, upsets our sense of order or what we've ever learned. It's why people hold on to things so much. I think humans by nature are fear-averse or change-averse, and as a result, they, you know, think that anything outside of the norm is is crazy. But um, a lot of great scientists over the years uh, were considered crazy, like um, you've heard of Ohm's Law in electronics. Uh, Georg Ohm, when he... Uh, developed his theory back in the 1800s, he was considered a, a scientific charlatan. He was, um, you know, I think he lost his teaching job, and it wasn't until 30 years later that his idea was shown to be true. Uh, the same with the first person who thought that cave art was, um, you know, as uh, old as it was, 30,000 years old. And others over the year, Franz Zwicky, uh, who developed the theory of dark matter in the in the 30s or 40s, was considered a nut. 
So anything that's different from the mainstream, unfortunately, is looked at uh, that way. Now, I think there are definitely, unfortunately, there are some crazy ideas out there that don't have any scientific basis. And so those tend to poison the well for the rest of the ideas that are based on logic and science. And I'm, I'm trying in this book to be as scientific as possible. And I'm not saying this is pure science. Uh, it doesn't have to be pure science. It could be philosophy. I don't care what we call it. However, you know, the, the criteria that people usually apply to science testable, falsifiable, observable, predictable, repeatable, those kinds of things, there's an awful lot of scientific theories don't, that don't meet those criteria. String theory doesn't. Many worlds theory doesn't. Um, actually, uh, the Big Bang theory doesn't meet all of those. And my theory comes pretty close to meeting all of those. So, you know, you could call it scientific or not scientific or whatever. It's, it's kind of semantics, I suppose. Um, and it is unfortunate that people do have a, a bias against things that are different. And I agree with your caller that that's the case. What changes if we are living in a digital simulation or we're not living in a digital simulation? How does that change our lives? Why does it matter? You know, sort of the ultimate question, I think. And you can say, so what? You know, so, you know, so what that, that we reincarnate or that things are digital deep down or that our consciousness is separate. But if you think about it, it really does change your, the way you may behave. For example, we spend all of this money on life extension. But if we realize there's an afterlife, then we don't need to spend all that money on life extension. We don't need to try to extend it beyond the point of its natural extension. In fact, spend that money on curing disease instead. Or just think about the whole idea of, uh, of our purpose. If we're really all connected, and if all consciousnesses are, are connected as it seems to be, then we will probably treat other people with more generosity and respect. We'll treat other animals with more generosity and respect. Um, and again, we realize that if we're not really in competition for resources, then wars don't even make sense anymore. Imagine what we could do in the United States with, uh, you know, with, you know, to recover the, the amount of money that we spend on wars if everybody realized that we don't have to compete for resources. Uh, let's, um, work, uh, let's work a, a quick call in here before the break. Michael is in Toronto. Sure. Michael, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Well, thank you. And, uh, hello, Richard. Hello, Jim. Um, Hi, Michael. You're, uh, <laughs> thank God cannabis is legal. <laughs> you guys are hitting on some pretty heavy stuff. Um, <laughs> but you, you're, you're bringing into focus, uh, a lot of things in my belief set, and it all has to do with, with energy and, uh, you know, reincarnation. And, and I think clarification is needed because people tend to think of reincarnation that we come back in the human body that we are now, which we don't. It's, it's the energy that comes back in different forms. And, and you, you've hit so many, so many things. And, 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 you know, it's certainly, uh, my, I, I respect everybody's belief set, but it does get into an issue of, uh, you know, uh, the high, higher power and the belief as opposed to a lot of how man-made religions present the higher power. And, uh, it's just so interesting that, um, uh, I just have to say one thing is that I recently uh, had a heart condition, and uh, um, in the end, uh, my cardiologist, uh, I didn't realize that the heart functions on elect- electricity, and uh, I, they actually gave me, it was a small procedure, Sunnybrook Hospital, but uh, the uh, the shock treatment brought my 
uh, you know, the hearts divide into four ventricles. It brought the one that was uh, not functioning properly back functioning properly. And so uh, energy and electricity, I mean, we just exist that way. Well, we are truly yeah, electrical, and- electrical beings, yes. Sure, and you use the the word uh, energy for for what reincarnates, and I, I like that, and I think that kind of underlies why we why it's so important to agree on a lexicon. You know, we talk about different words. If I say the word simulation, it's going to mean something completely different to almost everybody who's listening out there. If we yeah. use the word energy, it means something different. If we we use the word soul, that probably means something different. Well, I kind well, of equate you know- what. Well, if you talk about soul, uh, and, and you're a scientist, a scientist and, and I mean, it is proven that when the body, the human body dies, that they're, they're, the soul, as we know it, which is energy, actually leaves the body, and they've measured it. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, the previous gentleman uh, brought up the point, I mean, you're, I, I don't want to use the proof, your average individual, but <laughs> it's a pretty heavy topic for most people to accept. All right, yeah, Mike. I agree. It is. All right, Michael. Indeed. Thank you for the call. Some great points. We'll uh, we'll take a time out. Come back. Take some more calls and delve further into digital consciousness. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Question everything. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Jim Elvidge stays with us, and uh, one segment remains here. Uh, in the, um, I'm not sure if it, it's t- Tibetan monks who uh, who believed in this idea of manifestations of the mind. They called them tulpas, and they could create, uh, well, manifestations. For example, monsters and all sorts of hideous creatures and so forth. Is is that sort of the idea of what we're talking about in a, in in a, in 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 a microcosm that 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 the simulation is really a manifestation of the collective mind? Uh, yeah, in, in a way. I, I think the manifestation of uh, the tulpas, as you, as you describe, is maybe an extreme form of that. But creating your own reality, if, if we realize that our reality is soft, as it appears to be, and again, as the physics experiments seem to show, then we are able to influence it. So the question is, could I influence it drastically could i convince myself that i can walk through a wall probably not can i convince myself that my cancer will go away um maybe if it's just starting i can't because there's enough time for that that can that convincing to work the the consciousness to uh, have an effect so there's been a lot written about the power of positive thinking and the power of visualization the placebo effect and things like this these are real real effects and it's, it's because our thinking, our uh, consciousness, our intent actually does change what happens with us. Um, you know, we are a, a set of data, ultimately, a set of information in the form of consciousness, and we can mold that. It's, it's obviously a lot easier to mold something that is information than it is to mold something that's really hard and physical. And I think we're also finding that matter is becoming less hard and physical as time goes on in terms of, um, you know, the experiments that are done on the actual nature of it. So, um, yeah, you know, there's also some good evidence for the group consciousness effect. Um, There's been some studies at the Para Research in Princeton and some other things things that have shown, shown, shown um, a lot of people 
start having the same intent and the same thing, it's even more powerful to make a change than uh, if it's just one person. Right. I think there was a, a, a study at Stanford University, or the Stanford Institute, rather, uh, where individuals were able to, simply by concentrating, were able to change the pH level of a container of water. Yeah, that's that's a great one. And so how would mainstream science explain that? They, they really can't. But in, a, in the digital consciousness world, what are, what is the pH? You know, it's, um, it's ions of, of certain type, uh, more uh, than one other form of ion. And if our intent and our consciousness can actually mold, modify that reality, then it makes sense that we could have an influence on that. So there was another study that was really interesting uh, also done at Princeton where uh, people noticed that they, during the commencement of Princeton University, on those two days, they, I think they had uh, some events always on those two days, that the weather was anomalously good. It was unusual. that It almost never rained. And so if you looked at the statistical significance of sunny days versus uh, rainy days, on every other day in the summer, you had a you know, much higher incidence of rain than these two. And it's because everybody's like hoping for that, you know, wanting, wanting a perfect day for their, for their commencement. Um, so, and, and now is that a, you know, a slam dunk case? Well, every one of these experiments has error bars. Uh, it has uh, something called, um, you know, uh, chance, uh, well, what's the word, a chance due to uh, error. So what's the probability that um, this is actually due to chance? And you can calculate that. And so the error bar on that particular experiment was, I don't know, it was one in a couple hundred or something like that. So it's, it's possible that it was just a coincidence, but, you know, the, the likelihood is that it wasn't. You know, the likelihood is that, you know, people in a group consciousness way thinking the same thing along the lines of the other one that you mentioned um, can actually uh, manifest reality a little bit differently. Is this how group prayer works? Is this how faith healing works? I think so. Um, there's a lot of uh, success of Reiki and other things like that that uh, don't, again, they don't follow the normal uh, deterministic, materialistic kind of reality. Um, but there's, there is a consciousness there that is um, thinking positive thoughts, and that seems to have an effect it, to the point where uh, a lot of hospitals allow Reiki and those kinds of things um, into the uh, into the hospitals now, even though they don't fully understand why it works. The fact that it does work is enough uh, for, for it to be worthwhile. Well, is everything in reality a waveform that can be either created or, or, or collapsed? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on what you mean, mean by waveform. So um, I, I have, you know, heard a lot about... Uh, uh, you know, frequencies and, uh, you know, oscillations and vibrations and things like that. And everything ultimately is motion. So, uh, you know, the atoms in our body vibrate. The, the deeper fabric of reality is probably reality cells that are flipping back and forth at some frequency. So there, there does some, seem to be, you know, something to that. Um, the idea of collapsing a, a waveform means Something is going from just being probable to being 
actual, you know, um, actually experienced. And that, for sure, has been uh, proven to happen in uh, a lot of the, the quantum experiments. Well, didn't Einstein say that all matter is just energy that has slowed to an imperceptible rate? Um, I'm not sure about that one, um, but it does. It sounds like something he might say. I mean, there are some great physicists that you know. You think about the things they say; they match this uh, what we've been talking about tonight. So uh, Einstein once said, "Reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one." <laughs> it was Einstein that said that. You know, Max Planck, you know, father of quantum mechanics, said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. And one of my favorites, uh, Werner Heisenberg, you know, the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle, yes. another quantum physicist, uh, famous. He said, the first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will make you an atheist. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Ah, that's and I, I love that because... The deeper we look, the deeper we find purpose, and the more likely we find purpose. And the, the deeper we look, the more we seem to be connected, and the more we there seems to be a, uh, you know, a bigger entity or a bigger purpose to all of this reality. And, is, and some people will call that God. I call it all that there is. Um, it's just semantics again. When did it begin? Uh, I mean, was there was there ever a time we weren't living in a in a simulation? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, is that that's a great one. Um, there, there is this concept that you can Google. It's kind of fun. Uh, called last Thursdayism. Yes, you know, the idea that the reality came into being last Thursday, and of course it's somewhat humorous and kind of arbitrary. But if you think about it, what do we know? You know, what do we really know from the past? We infer the past through the artifacts in our reality, evolution fossils, uh, looking backwards in time and the Big Bang Theory, things like that. We're just taking data that we're experiencing in the current reality and inferring what happened in the past. We don't know for sure. What if those artifacts were just placed there, you know, just the same way that um, in a computer game, when you just start the game, when you boot it up, there are artifacts that are just already in the game. Um, we have no way of knowing which which was the case. But, you know, I do tend to think that everything that we uh, perceive as ha having happened in the past, the evolution of our reality, probably did happen, but it happened within the construct of this greater system. So it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, we, we created the system, we created the, and when I say we, um, the system created itself, um, created a virtual reality for us to, to experience. Um, set up some rules, and uh, allowed uh, conscious entities to connect to it and interact with it and evolve. And as it's evolved over the time, if it's gone in a odd direction, you know, a correction has been made. You know, I think it's actually kind of interesting that a lot of the things that we thought were going to be apocalyptic never actually happened to be apocalyptic. People thought that the Industrial Revolution was going to lead to the, the end of humanity. Uh, people thought that um, population explosion was going to lead to the end of humanity. Nuclear technology leading to the end of humanity. Now people think uh, AI will or nanotech will. And this never seems to happen. Why do you suppose that is? Uh, it, you, know, you know, that's kind of a philosophical question. Maybe deep down the system has to maintain some balance so that it can continue.
Maybe it's got really good adware, really good adware protecting protecting the simulation. Let me me work Paul in here from Oshawa quickly. Paul, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. A quick question, please. Good morning, uh, Richard. Thanks for taking the call, and good morning, Jim. Uh, Jim, I'm just curious uh, what you're saying. I I do understand uh, the line you're saying, uh, and my question is with... Today, with our technology and microwaves and other technologies exotic like CERN, could it be uh, enhancing uh, consciousness or could it uh, be corrupting it? Good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think consciousness is uh, is deeper than that. You know, we, we, we're playing out uh, things that we want to do. We have the free will to explore. Um, I think that all the exploration that we do is probably evolving our consciousness uh, at the end of the day. Is there a downside to it? Sure. Um, you know, each one of these things we have to take into account as, uh, you know, the risk factors and so forth. But I think the more we probe into the nature of reality, uh, the more we learn, and the more we learn, the more we evolve our consciousness. So to me, in general, it's an enhancement. And I think if you look over the years at things like, uh, you know, murder rates or... Uh, you know, some other things that could be attributes of the sort of nature of society, it has slowly gotten better. Um, as much as we feel like, oh, we're living in this, you know, this this uh, frightening age, um, at the bigger picture, it does seem to be improving, which, you know, again, feels like evidence that there's a, you know, a fundamental uh, rule of continuous improvement going on. That's true. I mean, we're, we're reducing abject poverty uh, at light speed. I mean, it's just incredible if you see what, what's happening there. Uh, Paul, we thank are, you for that. Yeah. yeah. There, uh, there's, a, there's a, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, it, we don't have time to get into this, but it seems like we're overlaying another element of sort of a digital reality with, and we've talked about this before, about you look at, for example, John Madden's NFL football, the video games, where, where we're creating a virtual reality that's sort of overlaying this digital simulation that we're living in. Uh, but virtual reality, I mean, that's not the same as a digital simulation, is it? Right. And the I, I do create uh, in, in the book a sort of concentric circles of reality. Um, so I think that um, all that there is is sort of uh, the outer circle. And you can put it inner circle or outer circle. It doesn't matter. It's just it's arbitrary. But, you know, if, if you believe that the further out, you're going in these concentric circles that that's the, the truer nature. Then as you go in, like at, a, at, a, at the next level, things like our waking virtual reality um, now exist or dreams or out-of-body experiences. And then the dreams within dreams or the, or the virtual reality simulations that we run or the fantasies that we have are yet another level, uh, you know, removed from that. So, you know, you can have dreams within dreams, within dreams. You can have virtual realities within dreams, within dreams, all those kind of things. Each time you do that, you're moving one level away from the truer reality. The truer reality is all there is. It's what we experience in between lives, and it's what we get a glimpse of uh, during a near-death experience. But it's not what we're living in today, because well, what we live in today is the virtual reality. And this is all there is, because we are out of time. Jim, always a okay. pleasure. Digital consciousness available everywhere. Good talking to you again. Great. Thank you very much, Richard. Great show. My pleasure.
All right, my thanks to Albert, Ryan, and Ian. Back next week, we'll talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Copper Scroll, a map that leads to the treasures of Solomon's Temple, perhaps. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.